You are listening to the Conquering Everest podcast. This is episode 36. Welcome to the Conquering Everest Podcast. My name is Brian Talor, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Now, on today's episode, I have a great conversation with Mike Stroh. Mike is the founder of Starts With Me, a consultant agency specializing in K-12 education and workplace mental health. Starts With Me helps to create mentally healthy teams that are connected, effective, and purpose-driven. Mike has worked with some of the biggest brands like Amazon, Hyundai, the City of Toronto, and some of Canada's largest school boards. But before Starts With Me ever came to be, Mike had his own struggles with addiction and mental health. This is Mike's story. All right, we are recording. Mike Stroh, welcome to the Conquering Everest podcast. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for being here. This is awesome. Yeah, glad to have you. Uh, got your bio, and we we had a little chat before, and I think you've got a really good story that would uh, resonate with a lot of folks. But before we get into that, would you like to take just a few moments and introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, so my name is Mike Stroh, kind of like the Stroh's beer that I know is popular in the U.S., <laughs> um, or at least it was at one point when I was trying to trace my family lineage to get money somehow yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah in my delusional states which i'm sure we'll get into anyhow so yeah my name's mike Stroh, and i currently i'm a psychotherapist and the founder of a mental health consultancy that specializes in k-12 education and workplace mental health and the name of that consultancy is starts with me and over the years we've kind of worked with some really big brands like amazon and hyundai the city of Toronto, uh, and a lot of sort of uh, the bigger school boards in the province. But of course, since the province is the biggest province slash state in the country, so some of the biggest school boards in the country. And the organization was really born out of my personal and family experience with mental illness, addiction, uh, recovery as a caregiver to my brother who lives with schizophrenia. And so it's sort of been a labor of love and turned into a, almost a career. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how uh, suffering and, and and the events of our life can really shape the future and 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 what we can do that we probably never expected to do. Uh, you mentioned province, uh, so you are Ontario, Canada, correct? Is that That's where you're yeah. located? Okay. Yeah. So anybody that uh, not used to to that that terminology, um, Mike is coming uh, to us from Ontario, Canada. So you talked a little bit about how it sounds like you got into the line of work you're in um, due to some mental illness, and and you said you you had a brother with schizophrenia. Let's let's talk a little bit about your brother and, and that. I mean, has that been a lifelong battle for him, or is it something that started later on down the road? Yeah, I think it's sort of hard to know. I'd say around the when he was around, I mean, we both did a lot of drugs from a really young age. So it's 
hard to distinguish how much of it was sort of the drug use and how much of it was just the in inevitable kind of genetic makeup of who we are around. So I was around 14, 15, 16. So he would have been, I guess, 16, 17, 18, something like that. Uh, he was exhibiting what, you know, we would call early warning signs. Uh, of, of symptoms and behaviors that were clearly, uh, I guess, signposts that something was not right. And those are typically delusions or thinking things that are, to most people, um, not logical or not real even. And then that, so he was a little bit just kind of off, but maybe it was just kind of normal teenage stuff or whatever. And then I'd say he had his first real kind of psychotic break. Um, I think he was about 21, 22, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think I was in my first year of university at that time. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's quite a shock when something like that happens. You're never kind of ready for it. And, right. you know, this was how many years ago? Um, about 20 years ago in which these i mean our collective understanding of mental illness and particularly schizophrenia was certainly <laughs> outdated yeah. or, or just not as enlightened i guess you could say what and what, what you talked about there were some uh, red flags uh, early warning signs what what are some of those uh for for those of us that may not be real familiar with that that disability yeah so, so primarily, I guess I'll just describe, so generally speaking, schizophrenia is a diagnosis that consists of psychosis. And you, really what that means is people have hallucinations mm -hmm. and the hallucinations are through the senses, right? So it's seeing things that aren't, seeing things that other people don't see, hearing things that other people don't hear, feeling things. And so through the senses and I'd say most primarily it's auditory hallucinations. So that's why often I think the most common thing is people hearing voices, right? Or talking back to voices that aren't there. So he you know, he would describe these stories, these just outlandish stories that seem so far from reality. Um, and they, they got increasingly more distorted and more unbelievable over time and generally and so those are kind of considered delusions. Mm. Um, and I think they just got more and more weird and more weird and, and, and more severe. And, um, and then it get, kind of gets to a point where, yeah. yeah, the person's like fully in a psychosis where, in which everything going on around them is totally disconnected from reality or from the consensus reality outside of them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we talked about it the first time, uh, our initial conversation, but um, is, is your brother still with us? Mm -hmm. yeah, he, is, yeah. is he doing yeah. better now or? Yeah, and, and I mean, it is a, a reasonable question or a legitimate question because a lot of people with schizophrenia, I guess their life expectancy is greatly reduced. Yeah. And I'd say, Often it's the case if people have supportive families or loved ones, they have a much better 
chance at kind of making it through. So yeah, fortunately he is. Um, he lives with my mom. He, although, yeah, I guess he's been pretty well for the last 10 years. So it was about 10 or so years that were really rough. Um, and so, you know, in and out of jail, in and out of hospital, in and out of just, it was just insane. Um, so now he's pretty good. Of course, he's got some barriers to, I guess, living a good life. But for the most part, he's pretty good. He plays hockey and he works almost full time. And um, he's got a small kind of network of friends. And so that's almost, I, I don't know. That's a good outcome, I would say, for yeah. someone in his situation, considering everything he's been through. And I guess to another point to your question is my grandfather, so my dad's dad died by suicide, actually. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know. They think he was probably bipolar. Maybe he did have some sort of schizophrenic experiences, um, but he had a lobotomy, which is like basically when they cut your brain open and try to cut out the part of your brain they think is, is right. sick, right? Yeah. And I think shortly after that, he killed himself. So that's a good example of how far we've come. <laughs> and maybe also a door that's open for how far or how much room there is to continue improving how we care for people. Yeah, I had done, uh, I, I kind of read up a while back on, on the old school way of, of handling mental uh, mental health issues and the lobotomy. I, I think, you know, the last one was, that was performed was 60s or 70s. So that's not, I mean, you're talking, what, well, 2020. So, you know, that, what, doing my math, what's that, 60 years ago that, you know, it, it, it wasn't too long ago where they were, they were, you know, experimenting on the brain to see what, um, you know, what, what would work and what wouldn't. You talked about you and your brother uh, struggled with addiction from an early age. Uh, what, what do you think, or do you know, you know, what was the contributing factor to your, your, your uh, kind of going down that path to drugs, alcohol, whatever, whatever your addiction was around? Yeah, it is a, I, the, I, the description you could say would be, you know, our parents divorced. I was pretty young. I was about five or six when they divorced. Mm -hmm. um, my mom worked a lot. I think she was sort of one of the early, ah, God, female people who were kind of trying to climb the, not climb, but advance in uh, executive realms or whatever it is. Right. Um, and the reason I say that is because she, like, we didn't see her very much. So we were, and she was our, we spent most of our time living with her. And so we'd be in daycare from day till night kind of thing. Um, so we didn't have, I guess the point is we didn't have much supervision. And I, I think the inherent genetic makeup and on my mom's side there's a lot of alcoholism and, and etc so it's in our blood no doubt mm -hmm. and we're predisposed as they would say and i was i personally i'll speak for myself i'm a stubborn person maybe not so much anymore but i was kind of a 
stubborn kid, I guess you could say, and very curious. Yeah. And so I, I had a pretty unique experience where at 12 years old, I went on a field trip to Chicago with my school and thought it was a great idea to bring magic mushrooms with me. Okay. And yeah. And of course my brilliant brother was thought it was a good idea to give them to me at 12 years old. I'd never been high, never been drunk. And I had, I think what I can only describe as a drug induced sort of psychosis. Mm. I, I didn't even have pubic hair at the time. I don't think, you know? And so, yeah. It was a disaster, um, but it was a clear example of somebody who was destined to live with addiction. So after it happened, I kind of had, you know, it took a few days for me to kind of come back to ground, to earth. Um, and the narrative in my head was that was the most horrendous thing I've ever experienced, but I want to do it again. I just don't want it to be that bad. You know, it was, right. the first time I, it was the first time I ever felt that I had control over how I felt in some sense. So I was anxious for sure. And I, who knows what other kind of mental health conditions. It's really hard to kind of I definitely have, AD, I mean, I have ADHD now, no doubt. I probably had it then. Um, I was just looking for something to have a sense of control over how I felt. And of course, substances give you the illusion that you do have control right. and temporary relief, long-term pain. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think because they, they, they are, there's talks now, like I've been reading in the news where they're, they're looking at mushrooms as, you know, psychedelic mushrooms as a potential for medicinal purposes. Mm -hmm. Kind of like cannabis, you know, cannabis went to a medical grade and um, I, it, yeah, and when I was growing up, you know, magic mushrooms, that was the, you know, that was, I, I had never partook in any of them, but they were definitely around and it was, a, you know, a, a way that people would have, you know, a trip. And so it's kind of hard to believe that, <laughs> you know, they're talking about using it in a healing way, uh, but, but maybe, I, you know, I guess we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, so you guys, you know, you, you, you got involved yeah, with drugs, alcohol, young age, and, and, and that continued on for how long for you? When did, when did you finally kind of go, okay, I need to, I need to get some help here. Yeah. Um, I just want to mention about the sort of medicinal use of uh, the mushrooms and oh, those okay, yeah. kind of psychedelics. Just, I think what, what's great about that in some sense is that they do, they can be positive experiences for people. Of course, not for a 12 year old, but, right. and they're done in super controlled environments, like under strict clinical conditions and set, et cetera. I've been following that research a bit. And I do think it's, if it can help people, that's amazing, right? Cause yeah. the pharmaceutical industry has been and continues to try to create solutions for people but it's not always going to work so i think if it's done ethically and and so on and so forth and i'm all for it i'm definitely not against that um and i think we'll see kind of like you said <laughs> time will tell about you know how it all right. plays out um that's just been on my mind lately so i'm as you brought it up i couldn't help but uh oh yeah uh, it's um, definitely interesting to to see where is. that may be going 
Yeah. And so to answer the other question, I think so shortly after that, I started experimenting with cannabis or weed and that worked for me. Mm -hmm. Sort of, I never forget the first time I got high, I thought to myself, wow, this is what I've been searching for my whole life in some sense. That right. instant relief, the instant sense of euphoria. And I very much relate to this idea of a lot of substance use or behavior addictions. I think the intention is a search for wholeness or a search for greater something a connection to something and drugs and alcohol do that so instantly um, yeah. and so that's what i got from that i think and then probably by the age of 13 14 i was selling drugs and i was high 24 hours a day literally mm. um, just you know scrape i got convicted of trafficking cannabis in grade 11 and, and a good uh, a good description of addiction is sort of the person has a, some sort of internal pain or trauma and tries to soothe that trauma with the substances and no matter what the negative consequences of that behavior are they can't stop no matter how much yeah. they want to and that was for sure me i had a girlfriend from about around 15 years old telling me i wasn't myself anymore you know things were not good and i knew that right. but i could not ever i couldn't couldn't open myself up to that. I couldn't allow myself to be vulnerable or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then in thinking about this idea of conquering Everest that I've been thinking about that in some sense. And so I scraped through high school. I really, I kind of cheated my way through high school. <laughs> I scraped my way through university and I did even cheat at the end of university because I was such a mess that I just, I was, I didn't know what to do. And um, I squeaked through university. Then I had, um, I had a cool job that was seasonal producing concerts for the a big festival, but I could never, because I needed to be high all the time and I couldn't pursue a meaningful job. I couldn't be committed to certain things. Then I found online poker, which for somebody like me, was a gift and a curse because yeah. I could hide from the world behind my computer screen. I could make, I made a lot of money. I was very successful, but I could, but I also was feeding my addiction at the same time and mm -hmm. continuing to continuing to isolate. And at some point I knew it wasn't like I was really getting sick, um, spiritually, mentally, physically. And so the last straw, I sort of convinced another person and myself it was a good idea to get married, somehow kind of hiding as much as I could of the reality of my situation. And then, so shortly after getting married at 30, so this high 24 seven, basically until I was 30. And that one after getting married and reality setting in sort of the house of cards or the house of lies that I'd been yeah. telling myself for so long just kind of started to crumble and I was getting scared of where my thoughts were taking me and where my reality it just sort of I, it was like I was sinking in a pit of sand and I yeah. 
you know, it was like, uh, this is not going to turn out well very fast if I don't ask for help. And so I did. I called a friend of mine who I think you and I are probably around the same age. Yeah. And we, this guy I used to rave with <laughs> back <laughs> in the 90s and stuff. So I knew, and he was an addiction counselor at a treatment center. And so I said, wow, if that guy can get better, then I might have a chance. And um, I called him and he was really helpful. And I'll never forget the day where I called the hospital to check myself into this treatment program. Two parts about that, I'll, I and I haven't thought about this in a while. The, the person on the phone said, well, okay, Michael, if you come, you got to be sober for 72 hours before you come. <laughs> of course. Well, Easier you said know, than done, right? Exactly. It's like if I could be sober for that long, I wouldn't be calling you. Uh, and then right after that, he was with me and he gave me a big hug and just said, it doesn't have to be like this anymore. And I just remember melting or what felt like I was melting. And I don't remember if I, it was in the hug or after or whatever, but, and I kind of just let go and I started crying and it was just such a moment of relief. Yeah. Cause for, for years I told myself I was going to stop. I should stop. I need to stop, blah, 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 blah. But it never was a reality till that moment. And that's when everything started to change. It was about 10 years ago. Yeah. I think, you know, that, <laughs> I, I can, you know, I always say this, I say this with everybody I have a conversation with, but I can relate on so many levels to what you've been through. And, and when you talk about finally being able to just accept you can get better, I think for all of us, those moments come where for whatever reason, we can't seem to give ourselves permission to heal. But then when somebody tells us, hey, it's going to be okay and you get that hug or you or somebody says you're forgiven it's like oh you know like i've had those moments where it's just like that was the most important thing i needed at that point uh talk a little bit about cannabis since that seemed to be one of your drugs of choice um so it, it is used medicinally now i at least here in the united states uh we're start it's starting to be legalized recreationally uh and, and here where i'm at in illinois it is a recreate you can go buy recreational uh cannabis and from what i've been able to gather there's not much difference between the medicinal or maybe there's no difference between the medicinal cannabis and the um and the recreational cannabis so if if the potencies are if there's really no the only difference i see is that if you're medically if you have a medical card then you could grow it you can have more of it you get a discount on it what's your opinions on cannabis um as a medicinal use product yeah um and and thanks for as you were reminding or or reflecting on that idea of, I can't remember exactly what you said, but about allowing ourselves or yeah. giving ourselves told, permission. Yeah. 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 That, oh, I got a sort of, you know, the tingles because there is something so it's ineffable, ineffable. Is that the word? Or it's so hard to describe how that right. happens or how we go from one to the other. But just when you were saying that it was so nice to be reminded of that's what kind of, a big part of healing even to this day 
yeah. in some sense. Um, so thanks for that. And then the cannabis, I, so for my own purposes of healing, I have no opinion one way or the other on it. I think what I do know, and I've done a bit of work with treatment centers here, and what I know that the doc, the medical doctors who are responsible, and I, I'm sure it's similar here than in the US, but I'm sure there's also the differences. There's no thorough science data. They don't know what they're doing, really. And and I've had heard doctors say that openly. We're we're now in a position where we're told we can prescribe cannabis, but we have no fucking idea what, <laughs> you know, and you, if you go into a, a bodega or whatever they're called and say, I want, you know, the guy or the girl on the counter will say, you know, we got sativa for this and indica, blah, blah, blah. And they say, it's good for anxiety. It's good for this. There's a morsel of truth or reasonable understanding of what's going on. But beyond that, nobody knows what they're talking about no matter how much they try to pretend they do so i just wish it was more honest in that sense um and i like you pointed out to the <laughs> what's the difference between the medicinal recreational who knows but i do know that one good thing about legalization might be the ability to know what you're giving people more clearly and then i do also know you can reduce, I think it's the THC and the CBD. I think those are the two main psychoactive, or the THC is the psychoactive, the CBD is the antipsychotic one, actually. Yeah. And what's happened is we've bred out the CBD, but they've bred out the antipsychotic components of the cannabis, which okay. is why it's so potent and, and powerful. It yeah. is a hallucinogenic as well, which is not often discussed. but. Anyhow, so I am I, I think prohibition is a disaster. I think much maybe I think so many social issues in the United States are caused by the war on drugs and sort of how that impacts different communities. And so I don't I try to stay out of the pol politics of it all, but I do think I think legalization is inevitable and it's actually the right thing to do, I think. It just doesn't make sense to be arresting people for getting high. I mean, if yeah. they commit a crime as a result of being high or drunk, then they should be punished or held accountable. But there's such a weird paradox because America is the reason why historically democracies have thrived, I think, and that push for freedom and liberty and don't tell me what to do, that's beautiful. But then at the same time, there's this sense moral superiority that we all have it in some sense but it's very very uh i don't know overt in the u.s uh, especially around drugs so yeah yeah i yeah and i agree uh, you, know, you know with the with your perspective on the legal ramifications you know and, and one thing in the united states is you could you could come to illinois and buy it or you know there's several states now you can buy it legally but right. if you if you travel across the border to a, a neighboring state that it it could be a felony like you could right. literally go to prison <laughs> for having you know uh, an eighth of cannabis with you and so i think there definitely is some um 
there's a lot of room to grow. I also think with cannabis too, if, if for some people, and, and I've used it for a means of controlling anxiety, mm-hmm. but like in times that I've used it, knowing that I, I do have an addictive personality as well, because, you know, that, that runs in the family and different sides. I'm actually on both sides of my family, but, you know, using it alone in your own space as a means to relax versus going out and celebrating and using it as, as a, a means of socializing. I think you can, the effects, I'm no expert, but I, you know, the effects can be different, you know, depending on how you use it. So yeah, I'm on that, I'm on that border too, where it's like, you know, do you allow it? Do you not? I mean, you know, alcohol is legal, right? So, yeah. you know, and that, and that could do more damage, you know, if I drink because of, you know, my illness with depression and anxiety, if I drink, it worsens. It doesn't, it doesn't get better. But if I partake in cannabis, it, it, it mellows. Um, but anyways, that's, that's, it's, it's interesting. That, that's a, a, a story for another day, I guess, because, you know, <laughs> cannabis, that could be a whole episode in itself. But okay, okay. so when did you decide that, because it sounds like you were still, you were going through you know, high school, you went through university and you were still addicted. When did you decide to get into the field, the profession that you're in now? Was it, I'm I'm assuming it was probably after you got (laughs) help, but maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 so I, I'd say one piece, which actually I think contributes to the addictive personality or whatever tendency is a longing for connection to something greater than yourself or just something that's meaningful. Yeah. And I think people, I certainly had that inclination and I was desperate for, I wanted to be part of the world. I wanted to engage in meaningful conversations and so on and so forth. I didn't know how. So I think I always had that yearning in some sense um, and so I'd say when I sobered up or got cleaned up, whatever, I, I was playing poker still. Mm. And because it was the only thing I knew how to do. I was 30 with, and I was certainly wasn't really employable. I continued to play for about three years, three, right up until our second child was born. And at that point, I had started getting involved in um, youth mental health education through personal storytelling, personal experience storytelling with the largest mental health hospital in Canada, which delivers this really awesome youth mental health program. So at that point, I, my wife and I had built a business that was starting to sustain our income. And... I never wanted to be a poker player, really. I mean, it was fun and I got to spend lots of time in Vegas and do this and that, but it just, you know, it wasn't what I wanted. And I saw an opportunity or what I thought was an opportunity to help make youth mental health education more interesting for young people, more engaging, quote unquote, cooler. And I did have, you know, the one job I really ever had was festival production and music management. And I thought, ha, I'm going to build a youth mental health festival and 
having no idea what I was doing. I'm not, and, and so I set out on that mission. A few years later, it came to reality. I wasn't really making money doing it, but it had some legs to it. And then I started being asked to speak in different places and do workshops and stuff. And then I kind of had a conversation with my wife and it was, okay, you know, our business is sustaining us. Although you still need to have an income in some sense, you have to, can't just live in fantasy land forever. And so I agreed and I said, okay, well, I'm going to go back to school. And I, I decided to go back to school to get a master's in counseling psychology so that I could have a backup plan if the mental health consultancy stuff didn't pan out. And so I graduated in October of 2020. And now I'm, I have a split kind of job of part-time psychotherapist, part-time mental health consultant speaker. And so it is, it's working. Yeah. Uh, it's happening. It's of course not linear, never what you think it's going to be, but it's been, it's been amazing. I think, as I said before, I'm stubborn. I, <laughs> I, I think part of being high your whole life and particularly something about that mushroom experience when I was so young, my mind was blasted wide open. So my, my interests in the world, I, <laughs> part of me thinks, I could, I would be interested in almost any job. So there's my, I have a tree being cut down in my backyard right now. I'm watching these guys climb up the tree. I mean, it's so fascinating and yeah. cool and interesting. And I love being, so part of me is like, Ooh, I could be a tree cutter, you know? Um, so that's actually quite difficult to deal with. And that's yeah. part of the ADHD symptoms, I guess you could say. So I'm kind of rambling on a bit, but um, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, I'm not a business person. I have a hard time with schedules and with being organized and that kind of stuff. And so that has been a, a challenge for me and continues to be. But I'm at a place finally. I'm not. I'm 40 in October. I, I think I'm. I can call myself an adult now. <laughs> Something like that, quote unquote. And I'm learning. I'm learning to be. I guess the person I always wanted to be. Uh, something like that yeah two things that uh, uh, two different very different contrasting um questions or topics here it kind of thinking back to your um playing poker being a poker player do you have you to to me at least for the folks that i i talk to drug alcohol addiction goes hand in hand with a lot of people it seems like at one point when they're trying to get away from the drugs and alcohol, they turn to gambling as mm. a way to get that rush and that high. Um, I, I did that as well, uh, not with poker, but you know, I, when I got over my, uh, through my cycle of depression and anxiety, I know I no longer had a means to mask it or try to, you know, suppress it. So I ended up playing, you know, you can go to any gas station around here and they've got slots. And so I start, or, uh, you know, video 
game machines, whatever they're called nowadays. And and I, you know, I, you know, win some, lose some. Um, I've, I've got that back under control, but it's it's kind of fascinating how a lot of people that I've talked to that's uh, that's kind of where they went with you know after they were when they were in recovery. Do you see that a lot uh, with folks, or is that just you know it just dependent on the person, the personality? But yeah, I, I think it, so. One for sure, I think it depends on the person, the situation, etc. Yeah. I think. It's a, it is so tricky and that's why this, even as a therapist or as a person in recovery, there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is an underlying reality that for most people, certain behaviors, no matter how they manifest are not healthy. Yeah. And I'd say for po for me in poker, I, I do remember gambling a lot in high school on football, and I remember, I remember, the terror of not feeling in control of the outcome, it was <laughs> yeah. torture. And right. so then, what what I and, and that's why I think cannabis addiction is so insidious is that it doesn't knock you out like alcohol and other drugs does in mm -hmm. most cases so you have this illusion or delusion that you're in control and so there's that piece but with poker and so so and it's the same thing if i put a dollar in a slot machine or i play roulette or something the the terror that i experience from lack of control is horrible so yeah. what's nice about and I know those games are set up for me to lose. Like you actually right. cannot win. That is something that you have to. And I, my son now, he always wants to bet on everything. And I and I, I'm very because that's a hard one at gambling. And so with poker, you're not playing against the house number one, or at least mm. you shouldn't play poker if you are playing against the house. You want to play against other human beings. The house takes a rake, of course, but. Right. The good thing about poker, for me at least, was it was the only thing I, I could do right when I was so fucked up. And, and I knew if I made the right mathematical bets consistently over time to the best of my ability that I would make money. And that's where I think poker is distinctly different than other forms of gambling like I, I would say poker isn't necessarily gambling except for certain people who are not playing it as as sort of theoretically as you could right. uh, and you see the most successful poker players although maybe historically have not been this way but they're really nerdy they're really smart and they take the mathematics very seriously and they win a lot yeah. so so that's where I, I could never get to that level because I was fucked up for most of the time. And then mm -hmm. the end of the career, I was just doing it to pay the bills. But um, anyway, that's a bit of a side yeah. note on the gambling. But I, I think it's about self-honesty is the big thing. Like you said, it was a, it was a problem for you in some sense. And so yeah. for certain people, I think it's all about rigorous honesty to the best of your ability. And and having feedback from somebody else. So I one thing I didn't mention, like I went to 12-step meetings 
almost every day for a few years. I got a sponsor. I went through the steps. I call I'm my sponsor is probably my best friend today. I still same sponsor, same program, if you will. I have a psychiatrist, I have a therapist. Well, now they are the same, but I used to have two different. Um, I had marriage counseling. I had a, a mindfulness therapist, group mindfulness psychotherapy, who's a medical doctor. So I got my filthy hands on everything I possibly could to help myself. And I yeah. think that's a message that I think is important to tell is like, I did not do any of this on my own by any stretch. So yeah, you always have to have those people in your corner that are looking out for you, um, yeah. you know? So I had a second question that that's kind of filtered away in my brain, okay. uh, but <laughs> I do want to take uh, some time and, and make sure that we talk about your website, what you have available. If there's somebody, you know, that's listening to this and they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm addicted or I was addicted. I'm, I'm losing control. You know what? Uh, let's talk a little bit about your website. If uh, folks go out to your website, it's uh, I've got it right here. It's uh, starts with me.ca, right? Yes, yeah. What will, what will they find? Um, what kind of resources are on your website? Yeah. Thanks. I think my somewhat scattered mind, uh, <laughs> There's a, a fair bit there. I'd say, I'd say where if in specific response to your the question around the self-identification and some of the mm -hmm. story and this experience, I'd say the YouTube, there's a fair bit of stuff on YouTube um, that I have and you can get there through the website. Um, but we have, yeah, so there's a pod, I have a podcast as well. Uh, talk a lot similar to this conversation we're having right now, which is why it's so nice to be on this side. And I yeah. thank you again for that. <laughs> um, so yeah, podcasts, videos, there's some pretty good blogs. They're not super long, but um, one of my colleagues has written a few of them. He's a, he writes a little more uh, academically than I do, but uh, there's blogs. And I'd say, if you're a teacher, we just partnered with an amazing organization in the US actually called the Log Off Movement. There are a bunch of students who are trying to help kids get off social media. So we have a lot of stuff in, yeah, a lot of stuff for schools and teachers. And then in workplace, we do mental health consulting in the workplace with lunch and learns and sort of extended consulting practices where we help companies integrate a mental health strategy, which there isn't robust research, although enough of it shows that if you take care of people and they're happy at work, they tend to produce more and be productive, <laughs> which leads to more profits and you're not paying as much money and disability costs and short-term leave and this and that. And so, whoa. <laughs> um, so yes, that I yeah. think that, that kind of answers the question a bit. Um, Okay, so that's, so what that's your website. They'll find your resources to YouTube, uh, yeah. Post yeah. different things like that. Yeah. Well, Mike, I, I've, it's been a pleasure having you on. I, I certainly appreciate you telling your story, sharing your story with this audience. Um, I'm I'm glad that that you found your way because I think you're doing really great 
work now and so all of that past history was it's it wasn't it was it wasn't for nothing something mm -hmm. great came out of it and that's you know I, I always tell folks you know go out and do amazing things um and 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 and, and your work with especially the younger generation um i think that's so important like high school junior high there needs to be more awareness around mental health uh, especially in today's society where we're all connected so uh i appreciate what you're doing it's been a pleasure having you on the show brian thank you again and uh, right back at you in terms of just having these conversations is beautiful and soothing cathartic and the more of them that we have i think mm -hmm. the more people will hopefully find their way through their own darkness and start to enjoy their lives or i love what you said earlier giving ourselves permission i think that's what you said it was so yep. nice to hear that and be reminded of that and um yeah give yourself permission out yes. there you yeah it you, starts yeah. with you <laughs> yeah there uh, you go <laughs> and let's give your podcast a little love too go ahead and shout sure. that out where can i yeah, find it's your podcast the so you can find it on the website but it's the state of mind mental health podcast and as far as i know you know it's i know it's on apple spotify I'm pretty sure it's on the other things if Libsyn is pushing it out there the way it's yeah. supposed to. It's, it but, should be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I'm not Google good at that side of it either. But uh, yeah. yeah, the podcast is cool. And Brian, I hope I hope we can switch positions at some point and, and I'll have I'd you on to. one of these days. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I, any Anything I can do to uh, put my story out there and just hopefully, I mean, you know, what I've gone through, That's that's all I could hope for is is that somebody can will hear it and know that they're not alone. Uh, yeah. Nobody's alone in any of these struggles. Uh, there's so many of us out there that can <laughs> can relate, can help. Um, you know, you just got to reach out, and and so that's I think the most important thing. But yeah. well, hang tight. I want to have a quick chat with you once we yeah. uh, we stop recording. Uh, but I hope to talk again soon. Likewise. All right. Thanks a lot. Take it easy. There you go. There you have it. My conversation with Mike Stroh. Mike, you are truly an inspiration. And for everybody that's listened, make sure you go out and check out startswithme.ca. Mike's website. He's also got his social media links on that website for you to check out and connect with him. And until next time, this is Brian. And you know what I got to tell you, right? I always tell you the same thing. Say it with me. Aim high. Be courageous. And go do amazing things.